meeting is recorded. Welcome back to episode two of Bigot and the Bitch. Welcome back. What did um, you I'm your me? bigot. <laughs> and uh, I'm you your bitch. You know what I you. <laughs> 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 your favorite bigot and your favorite bitch is back. Um, so we have we have a very we we've got a great topic today. Um, we're we're gonna be. You want you want to tell them what we're talking about? Well, I was just going to say, first of all, bold of you to assume that you're the bigot and I'm the bitch. I'm, you know, <laughs> sensing some sexism here. But no, today we're going to talk about, per Cole's request, we're going oh, to yeah. talk a little bit more about freedom of speech. And I'm actually just as excited as probably whoever's listening is to hear more about what he means by that, because we intentionally tried to not delve too deeply into it. So that we could find out more, because if y'all will remember the first episode, we talked about democratic backsliding, and that was kind of something that I brought to the table and wanted to discuss. So this time it's Cole's turn. So Cole, tell us a little bit more about what you mean by freedom of speech and what you want to talk about today. Yeah, so we're, so this is, I feel like this is a very appropriate topic for today's time frame and time period. Uh, and the reason why is because there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of movement in the world today, um, we've got social media that is that is alive and well, right? And and on social media, there's been a lot of back and forth between uh, both political parties, conservatives and Republican, or I guess Democrats and Republicans. Um, and one, I think I think everyone wants to have a conversation, but I think no one's willing to listen. And I think we're excited to point fingers. And I think that's. I think that's what a lot of people have been doing as of late, uh, which is okay. Um, but I think today it would be good to go over some definitions of free speech, uh, go over some definitions of the First Amendment, um, and talk about what it meant back in the day, and talk about some of the revisions to the First Amendment, um, such as like like the the classic fire in a uh, in a was it like in a theater in a like in a theater, in yeah, stuff like that. Um, so disclaimer before we jump really into it, we're going to be talking about some pretty sensitive stuff, right? We're going to be talking about some um, some intense stuff. And uh, so you as our listener, it's just, um, we, we just ask you to leave your ego at the door and, and just listen and, and think and, uh, and receive. So I'm excited to get into it. Um, so first, for any comments? I'm, I'm just as interested after hearing that disclaimer, and I guess it's going to be up to us who is host to leave our egos at the door and be willing to have that conversation. I'm also really interested to hear all of this historical background because I haven't done any research into this, and so it'll be interesting. I mean, if nothing else, I feel like another disclaimer we can throw out is neither of us are historians. This is not our subject of study, so I think if nothing else, this will provide a really interesting look at what our perceptions of those things that you just said are. So like what the history of freedom of speech is, what it meant at the beginning, what both of us think it meant at the beginning and, and how that maybe has evolved or what we think it means now. So I don't know. I'm excited about that. I'm excited to find out more about if like what kinds of, I guess, differing perceptions we have about that. Yeah. So let's start at the basics. Let's like the first amendment. Um, what from, from everything, all of your background and from all of your research and, and people with you, yeah, which is lacking, but from, <laughs> from everything that you know, 
Like, what was the purpose of the First Amendment when we first established it? I mean, to be honest, I really don't feel comfortable answering that question because I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, I guess on a very basic level, the way my education has informed me is that a big reason for the the that being included in the First Amendment was because of was because for religious purposes and for political purposes, the founders had experienced some levels of persecution and wanted to be sure that that was a basic right that was preserved. However, I mean, that being said, it seems like that quote unquote freedom of speech was for a very specific class of people in a very specific time and in a very specific way. So like, I don't really feel comfortable. I don't know. To me, I honestly feel like it doesn't really matter so much what they intended when they first included it. What matters now is is what it's become and and what we where we want it to go as a as a as a country now as opposed to when it was first first laid out. But I mean, that's my perception. What's yours? Um, I think that's cool. That's cool. Um, I think that I think that freedom of speech. Um, was intended to be very core to our democracy because um, I think it was a way of the founding fathers to hedge their bets in the sense that maybe we're wrong. Like maybe when, we, when the majority or even the minority holds an opinion, there's a chance, you know, that that, that opinion is wrong and that policy is wrong and that ideology is wrong maybe not wrong, but just like not working or, or not, not effective. Um, and so I think that freedom of speech was at least from my experience and from my, just my own thoughts. Um, <clears throat> I think that the freedom of speech amendment was created to keep the ideas flowing in the world and offer a platform for people to, consistently show up and have their own voice and have their own opinions because at the end of the day while something might work for 100 years there's a good chance that with new technology or a new culture or something else coming into the the chemi- like the the mixing pot um things have to change in order to keep them being effective and so i think i think the freedom of speech um is is so important um for like like what I just said, so that we still have new ideas and we don't get stuck in old traditions that might not work. And also to keep people in check and keep people from getting extreme power um, through propaganda, through um, mass movements on, on um, um, just like massive political power or massive social power. Um, I just think that freedom of speech keeps people in check. Interesting. I've never thought of it that way as like a like a key to keeping government dynamic instead of static. That's really interesting. Um, that is really interesting because when you think about it, one of the ways that maybe it has been most dynamic is, like I mentioned, it seems like there was a very specific class of people who were considered people who got this kind of right when it was first written. And I guess maybe to me, one of the most hopeful ways that our country has been dynamic has been expanding that definition of personhood and expanding who exactly receives these rights, 
Um, because I think in that way, it's functioned just like you just described. It's functioned as a check against like one class of people being the like arbiter of exactly what happens in the country. So it's been a way like expanding that has been a way to help us hear the voices of not just white property owning men, but women, people of color, I mean, immigrants, all those things. And I do wanna acknowledge though, that, that that hasn't been like, the process itself hasn't been that beautiful <laughs> of that inclusion happening, you know? Like there's been lots of unrest, lots of discomfort, lots of, um, I mean, terrible things happening around that, right? I mean, like, I think of like Chinese exclusion acts and things like that, where they literally basically just said an entire group of people isn't worth these rights that we're writing down, including this freedom of speech. I mean, women didn't have a voice. It's really interesting. I mean, even like in the early history of the United States, the Alien and Sedition Acts, I feel like were a first look at what we meant by freedom of speech and who was protected by that and, and what the president specifically or a political party specifically could do when they felt like that freedom of speech was inconveniencing their political agenda. So I don't know, just back to that point, I think that's, you have a really cool point of, of, of that being a key to creating a dynamic instead of static government, which can then, I mean, work with challenges that the founders never even anticipated. Yeah, I just, I just think that no one person or no group of people is smart enough to be able to predict the next thousand years. And, and as much as like principles are very, very important and you can guide some, like, I, I just think that, I think life flows in way different directions than people expect and you need to be able to pivot. And I think that this idea of pivoting is only possible uh, when you have the the possibility of a discussion and you have and you have the ability to analyze and you have the ability to be like, huh, like look at this scenario, look at this scenario, and you balance other ideas off of people. Now that being said, I I still I mean we talked about this. I, I, I mean I mentioned this in the last podcast that I still think that America has a listening problem. Um, like a major, 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 major listening problem. Um, and I think one of the ways that this is uh, showing up is I think people are very excited to use their First Amendment right on social media, in public, um, in personal lives. Like, I think people are very, very excited to exercise that right. Um, and just a, just a side note, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think the Founding Fathers had, like, great intentions when it came to, like, using that for themselves. Um, however, yeah, they kind of got it wrong with the whole Black thing and the whole, like, women thing and uh, yeah the women thing the black thing that's one way of saying that i guess (laughs) kind of kind of yeah they kind of got it wrong um (laughs) so glad that we're glad that's changed significantly um however uh, or not however in addition to that um i think now we have with social media and with um with the ability to communicate at a like mass grand level I think that I think people are really excited to exercise their first known right and speak out and be like, Hey, like this happened to me like 10 years ago. I want to share it. Or like, Hey, I don't think this is a proper way that the, the government is ruling. Like I want to share or like, Hey, this is my X, Y, and Z of this person or this policy. And people are excited and people are actively sharing that. However, I think that we also are totally missing the boat on the listening side of things. And it's, 
it, it means that we're not getting the forward momentum that we probably that we could be having um, under this this first moment, right? That's interesting. And as you were saying that, I was just thinking about too. I wasn't listening. I'm just kidding. I was listening <laughs> and just trying to absorb. <laughs> I found her. Got her. <laughs> <laughs> got me. But no, I was just trying to. I was. I was thinking about like to the difference between like, and I don't know enough about law to know exactly how concrete this difference is and what exactly it means, but just the difference between like the legal definition of that first amendment right and like the abstract idea of the first amendment freedom of speech that I feel like we talk about. Does that make sense? Because I feel like there is an important distinction between those two things, right? Like there's an important distinction between the idea that we all should be able to have our say and do those things versus like what's actually protected under law and what that actually means. Because I feel like we use that interchangeably without acknowledging that there's a difference. Um, I don't know. I was just thinking about that as you were talking, because I was thinking about, like you said, people utilizing social media, people utilizing platforms like YouTube and things like that to get their voice out there and people talking about it like it's a First Amendment, right? when legally it, it turns into a lot more nuances between like, especially now with social media, like one of the things that the founders and people maybe didn't anticipate about technology and about social media is where the private, I guess, private and public line is, right? Especially when it comes to businesses and their right to limit what people say. From a legal standpoint, as far as my understanding is, there is some ground for those companies being able to have a say in what is put on their platform and what is said and how it is said. From an abstract point of view, however, it feels weird that like the modern street corner, basically the modern way that people get their voices out there is being regulated by something like a business that feels strange. And that 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 um that abstract idea of freedom of speech is maybe on some level being regulated by that 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 seems to feel strange to a lot of people and that makes sense i think whenever you can see that there's there's that distinction between the legality and the abstract idea and that gets conflated a lot does that make sense oh yeah yeah for sure because like i mean we i mean specifically so (laughs) There, there is, there's plenty we could talk about with Facebook and Instagram and, and YouTube yeah. and Twitter. And, and, and I think that that's something I forgot about actually, that they're <laughs> actually businesses. Like I forgot their business. Um, because in my coming into this conversation, I am prepared to talk about, yeah, social media and censorship and, and stuff like that with like, like the whole with vaccines and with political issues and stuff out in like the, the Middle East. And, and so, um, yeah, I thanks for bringing that up because I like, I forgot their businesses. I like forgot like, um, and, and if coming from a business background, my stance typically on, on that kind of stuff is like, it, it's their platform and they can do what they want with it. And so it's it's weird because I feel like we're in a bind as an American people or actually kind of like worldwide um, because social media has become so important that it's it's kind of, un, it's, it's, it's unthinkable to give it up if you want to be in the political sphere or the influencer sphere and have like, yeah. yeah, it's like, like, I, like I don't have social media 
Um, and I mean, I use like Facebook for like dating, but that's about it. But I like, I don't, <laughs> yeah, you, just, you just made yourself sound like 60 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. No, I just came up with an app on it. So a little plug. I just get sponsored. Um, thanks. Second word. Um, but I don't have social media and I'm the kind of guy that I prefer to be a hermit when it comes to social media. Like I'd rather just not be connected at all. But I also don't have any like major political agendas. I don't have any major, um, at least not right now, any major business ventures that I need to be seen by people. Um, but when the time comes that I actually go into something like that, yeah, I don't think I'll be able to do it without social media. I, I don't. I don't think I'll be able to scale without social media. And so it, it almost feels like, at least for me, it kind of feels like we got duped as a people, where <laughs> we got offered this like amazing platform to connect with people and to engage with people and to share our opinions and it, it almost feels like we got lured in and then okay once we're addicted to it once once we don't see another option outside of social media then okay here's all these res- regulations oh by the way we're still business we can control this we do you can leave whenever you want like you we're not forcing you to be on this platform but if you find another option then go for it but most people, at least uh, about what we're talking about with trying to get our voice out, most people don't have another option other than social media. Yeah, and I mean, I think that brings in a whole another interesting discussion about the idea of what a monopoly is, right? And like, I mean, I don't know, if, <clears throat> I haven't kept up a ton with this, but I have seen in the news recently, you know, there's been lots of discussions about congressional like investigations of companies like Facebook, Um, and companies like Amazon trying to see because I think one of the most interesting and both predictable and unpredictable things of technology right is that our definition of things like monopoly needs to be able to adjust because you're right I think in a lot of ways you're really right there talking about the social pressures and the social benefit of being on social media makes it pretty impossible to be a functioning um, member of society without, without using it in some way. And so, like I said, it, I, I think it really blurs the line between what's public and what's private there, because it's, it really is in a lot of ways that modern street corner and yeah, our street corner is bigger and louder and reaches way more people. But, um, I think it'll be really interesting to see in the next 10, 20 years, how if, I mean, I think it should, but if that definition of a business monopoly changes, how we try to account for the social pressures and, and, and the less tangible, because I mean, from my very basic understanding, a monopoly is just a business that holds a corner market on a specific thing. And so they can control the prices, they can control lots of unethical things. So it's a very tangible thing, right? It's a very tangible thing you can look at and be like, oh, this seems like a monopoly. I feel like what you just described with social media in a lot of ways still feels like a monopoly, but it doesn't have those tangible things the way that maybe a business that was selling cars might've had, you know? So it'll be really interesting to see if and how that definition changes and, and the role that freedom of speech plays in that, because I feel like it really could have a seat at the table and trying to redefine, um, monopoly for modern business because it's a big issue that that's being brought up here 
And, and that yeah. line between public and private seems to be really blurred by what's going on with, with social media. Because I think, I think that media, like, if I remember correctly from my history lessons, like, I believe that media was specifically, like, the reason why media is so important is because it keeps the government in check. It's like, hey, government's taking all these, like, creating all these policies and doing X, Y, and Z and, and saying this is the way. And then the purpose of media was basically to, like, poke holes and everything and see what actually, like, kept water. And, and so... Um, I, I think that um, I think social media is interesting because um, it, it's the lay people, right? It's the general population that is now becoming like news reporters, so to speak, and poking holes in different things and challenging things uh, and, and and being unwilling to um, kind of let things just go by anymore because people are fed up with certain policies and, and way things are going in life. And uh, plus I also think people are bored. As, and so I think that's also, a, I think especially but, during the last year and a half, you have a really yeah. point there. Yeah. I think, I think when people get bored, they get a lot more vocal, um, but they're like, Oh my God, it starts to drop up. But uh, not, not being, not, not saying there's not real problems out there, but um yeah, the, but again, it's it's so bizarre how we've come into this space where we are reporters now and we are poking holes in different policies and challenging different things, and we're doing through it we're doing it through a medium that's business. Mm -hmm. It's it's a business, and so it's this it's, it's this interesting thing where we're putting out information and we're we're seeing filters come into play because we're going through a medium, we're going through a channel that is literally run as a business and they can do whatever the hell they want because like, I mean, not totally. I mean, yeah, like, not, so exactly, not exactly, not yeah. exactly, but but the, the regulations governing them are not very conducive to things like the freedom of speech. Correct, um, yeah. It's funny, I'm such a nerd because as you were saying that, I was like, when has there ever been like another transition like this in history? Because I know there has been. And the thing that keeps coming, I mean, I'm sure there's other historians out there who, if they happen upon this podcast and listen to this are like tearing their hair out and they're like, <laughs> actually media isn't that black and white. Actually, you know, like there's all these other transitions and I'm sure that that's the case. But the big thing that I keep thinking of is like, honestly, I wonder how people felt after the printing press was invented, right? Because mm -hmm. like, I feel like that was the last time I can think of off the top of my head in history where we had such a big change so fast in the world with communication, with who got to say what, because, you know, with the printing press, it allowed people to actually disseminate their ideas on a much grander scale than ever before. And this is like that on steroids, right? Like this is like that yeah. instead of like waiting a month and getting a book from Germany that talked about religion in a way you were forbidden to think about. This is like in two seconds, What's happening? I mean, I mean, it's in the news right now. What's happening in Afghanistan? We can see on our screens, you know. And so it's like it's like that huge transition on steroids, and it just makes me wonder, like, how did people adjust then, and like, how are we going to adjust now? Because I think there's going to be a real adjustment period that's uncomfortable and hard while we figure out what exactly it means to be human and have social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can we switch gears a little bit along oh, the same yeah. line, but? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I was just thinking about um, with this so I was thinking about 
if you would disagree or agree with the sentiment that <laughs> people use common sense more or less now with a huge abundance of information versus back in the day when information travels um, slower. Does that make sense or do you want me to clarify? No, it makes sense, but I don't think it's a fair question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because okay. I, I feel like it's like, it's like holding people to the same standard with different amounts of information, right? I think, I think personally, I think a lot of countries have gotten it right. Like, like for example, Finland, um, as far as I understand, they have a compulsory course that they have students in high school take on social media and on how to understand new, like how to read news and how to parse sources and things like that. I think we're going through an uncomfortable period right now where we've got a huge number of people who understandably have no idea how to do that and are doing it really badly. <laughs> and like we have some, some factions of society that maybe have a better understanding and are kind of figuring it out. But until we have like a larger portion of society that understands exactly how to do that, I think we are in a little bit of trouble right now because I guess to answer your question, I don't think they have, it's not, I wouldn't call it common sense. I would just say, I don't think that they have the base of knowledge to be able to parse the amount of information. And I think there's a lot of people who don't want to learn because it's uncomfortable and hard and new. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what I'm thinking about it. What would you say? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I like totally, totally agree. Um, because for me, so, so in my sphere, like I'm coming from a much more conservative background than you are. And, and a lot of my friends are far more conservative. And, and so the hot topic of today is the vaccine. Like the hot topic of today is the COVID vaccine. And, and in my sphere of friends and people the like, I, I've heard anything from like, like Bill Gates, Bill Gates, doing population control with the vaccine to like, to like, uh, uh, like government putting microchips in the vaccine and tracking everybody to, um, uh, what else have I heard to, to like, yeah, to, to like the vaccine is going to make you sicker to the vaccine is going to, it has no effect on it to the vaccine. Um, saying you can transmit the disease with or without the vaccine and it makes no difference. You can get sick with or without the vaccine makes a difference. In fact, the vaccine is worse for herd immunity. Like all these things that I hear from, from my sphere of friends. And, um, and then on the other side that like, there's like, I, I, I suppose that what I'm thinking is, I, I think you're right. I don't think we're equipped to have common sense right now um because i don't think for me personally one of the struggles that i've had is instead it, instead of looking into the data myself and instead of looking into facts myself i i find that i go after champions i've got i've got champions in my different spheres of life and one of them is like a political sphere so for me champions like conservative champions are like the ben shapiros and and it's like this, <laughs> I, I like Stephen Crowder, he's more like a comedian in my opinion, but there, there's like, um, I, I think that people, instead of using common sense and myself included, instead of using common sense and instead of looking into data and instead of evaluating data, cause I think data can be misconstrued 
right? Like, I think you can interpret data wrong or like have bad studies that don't account for the things. Um, but instead of learning statistics and learning stuff that can aid my common sense, actually decipher and parse through information and make an, my, an educated decision. Instead, I find myself falling to a groove that's easier where I say, okay, here's my, my right wing, right wing champion. And my champion's going to battle your champion and they're going to go head to head at, in some great debate. And, and uh, my confirmation bias is going to be like rooting for this person instead of like, and the title of this, the, the title of the YouTube video is going to be like Ben Shapiro destroys left-wing snowflake or something like that. Some like, like riling up title that's going to, that's going to put me into a rut that is not conducive to actually parsing the information on a common sense basis. And it said, we just play the champion game. Does that, does that make sense? That was one of the most interesting descriptions of polarization I have ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think it makes sense. And I think, I mean, I think you bring up an interesting point, which is kind of a natural extension of what I was saying about this transition. Like, what do, where do we see ourselves going forward? And I think that education, but like in some ways education needs to improve and like we need to do that. But I also think media needs to be held accountable for the ways it's taken advantage of the situation we're in. I mean, like what you just described, it's used that kind of, um, I guess the thing that's coming to mind right now is like in-group, out-group group dynamic, but that's, oh, tribalism. That's what I'm looking for. It's not in-group, out-group, it's like tribalism. They've used tribalism to basically take people's, like to, to create this environment like you just said, where rather than um, rather than encouraging people to do their own research or rather than providing sources, it's all about personalities. And it's all about, oh, Ben Shapiro is right. Or whatever the guy, who's the guy on Fox News right now? Who's, um, I can't remember his name. Uh, no pressure, Carlson or something? Tucker Carlson, uh, that's right. Tucker yeah, Carlson. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, those people have created personality cults, essentially. And I mean, guess who's yeah. the best example of that? Donald Trump. <laughs> and so many ways is a huge example of somebody who created this cult of personality of people who took his word over the word of numerous experts. And, you know, I will throw in the caveat. It's not just one side of the political spectrum that does this. It's all sides. And so that tells me that... <laughs> I know that when it comes to market economics and stuff, there's a lot of people who are more hands-off or more hands-on, but I feel like this is one of those times where it seems like we need to be more hands-on to protect our own democracy and that we need to figure out ways how to regulate this media so that it's not creating these, these cults of personality because it does no good for anybody in the end. Because in the end, it's just about like you said, picking your team and following that as opposed to trying to understand like what's actually happening and building your own base of, I mean, essentially being what I would consider to be like a quote unquote good citizen, somebody who is trying to engage with society around them and understand issues and form their own opinion about it as opposed to just jumping on a, a bandwagon. I will throw in though, this isn't, that part of things is not a new phenomenon. Like having bandwagons, having cults of personality is not new. What is new is the platform and the reach of people <laughs> and, and, and the greater responsibility and ability we have to parse these kinds of things and therefore 
in some ways, the greater failure we face when we have these huge codes of personality because we have people have access to information in ways they've never had before. It's not that they don't have access. It's that now, now they're choosing not to use it in a way that maybe they didn't have responsibility for it before. Yeah. I would say I would add one more thing on to that, that there's the platform and the reach and the frequency. Yes. Yeah. Yep. The I frequency is insane right now. Instead uh, of like a weekly and, and town meeting, it's every second. <laughs> yeah. No, for real. Like you, you will, you can scroll and, and social media platforms are set up so you can endlessly scroll and you will never, ever run out of information to consume. Yep. You like you literally will never run out of information to consume, and so <clears throat> that's scary. Um, I disagree with you on the. Um, I, I disagree with you on the at least with the information you provided and my interpretation of it. I disagree with you on the um, whole regulation thing, um, and this I think is the heart of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's do we regulate stuff versus do we not regulate stuff? when it comes to freedom of speech, I think. Um, and, and the perfect example is like the most modern one with the vaccine where you'll find plenty of video. I mean, the majority of the media, I, I wonder what percentage you could break it down to, but I would, I would say the majority of the media is saying, get the vaccine. Um, it's good for you. Builds character. Like, like get the vaccine, okay. right? Like, I don't know if these know, characters like whatever. The, okay, whatever, whatever. More like it saves lives, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's like that is the as far as I understand that is the majority, like the vast majority of the media, and then you get a lot of people um, in conservative backgrounds and conservative states that are pushing back and saying, "Hey." Um, not cool. You can't force us to do stuff. You're not allowed to say this stuff. What about this? Like, what about flu rates going down like crazy and COVID rates spiking up? What about all these doctors uh, from random places saying um, and speaking up and saying, Hey, this is like a crisis. This is not okay. This is what it, stuff like that. That's getting taken down off of social media platforms. And, and this isn't, this isn't a debate. I mean, we can make it a debate, but I don't think it, this would be productive to debate like the facts behind stuff, whether it's good or bad or, or right or wrong. But I think it would be more helpful to look at, okay, should potentially false information be censored from, from the public? I think that is the debate. And I would say, no, I don't think it should be censored. Um, I'm willing to, I'm open to stuff um, outside of that because we already do, we do have mass censorship in the, in America for, um, things like the N word and things like hate crimes and, and stuff like that. Like we do have censorship in that, but. Sorry, I'm just confused by your definition of censorship because like, and like, can you, so I guess, I guess I want you to explain more about what you mean by censorship and, and who you see as the censor and, and, and if that has an impact on whether it should be done or not. Cause, cause like, like, for example, the examples you just gave of like, uh, the N word or like, um, hate crimes, like I can see that more for like hate crimes, I guess, but I wouldn't call that censorship. People get like prosecuted for that. It's not, it's not like people produce this material and people take it away. That's not what happens. People get prosecuted right, for hate crimes or like, and like when it comes to the N word, like 
I don't quite understand what you mean by that because there's lots of things in public discourse that include the n-word um yeah like so can you explain more about I guess just like what you mean and I don't know I'm just I'm a little confused by that <laughs> maybe this is actually exactly what I want because because you're right there isn't really censorship it's like people say stuff and then they get punished for it like they either get punished socially um, <laughs> um or they get prosecuted like the whole like the the uh fire in a crowded building or like in a movie theater example where i think i looked at the definition and it was saying stuff with the intention of causing panic or mass hysteria yeah hysteria yeah um and i'm pretty sure there's like i don't actually know what the penalty is but i'm pretty sure it's like not a light penalty i'm pretty sure that's actually a pretty big deal in prosecution um and so i kind of like that i actually i kind of i kind of like that because they still have the choice to say it but they get punished for it um whereas censorship my definition of censorship at least right now my working definition is that it is the blocking or removal of your voice and your opinions and your thoughts so for example um when somebody says something that's like anti-vaccine online or like there's there's this video that I, I shared with you yesterday with the doctor in indiana that that um uh there was at some like school board or whatever and basically just like for like six minutes railed the advisors and like the cdc about all these like factual inaccuracies from his experience of like how disease works and immunology and, and etc um and it went viral on tiktok went viral on youtube and um, since going viral, it's, uh, YouTube has taken it down. Um, and so that to me is censorship to me, that is saying, Hey, here's this opinion that you've got. Here's this, uh, X, whatever, here, here's this thought. And, um, instead of letting other people decide using common sense, and I, still, I don't think we're, I don't think we're equipped yet, uh, for that. I think, I think that's a solution that we need to come to, but regardless, instead of letting people use their common sense to parse information, we're just going to remove it from the pool of information and not, not even have it as an option. See, that is so interesting that you say that and like you give these examples because I think this is where we diverge. When I see platforms like Facebook and YouTube removing things like that, I see them legally protecting themselves from exactly the scenario you talked about with yelling fire in a crowded movie theater. They're protecting themselves from the possible eventuality of being sued and being said to have participated in creating mass hysteria amongst the populace. Because especially in the view, from my understanding, especially in the view of public health experts, people intentionally using false information to decry the vaccine is very much causing public hysteria and is very much something that's, that's causing a very dangerous situation that's killing people. And so to me, it's not, I don't, I don't see it as, as anybody, any like figure going in saying, oh, we don't <coughs> allow somebody to say this or that. I see it as a company protecting itself from like what you just said. I don't, I don't know if the truth of this because I don't know the legality behind it, but what could be very severe penalties if a court found them in violation of that yelling theater or yelling fire in a crowded theater kind of thing. So to me, like, that debate doesn't even seem to center around freedom of speech. It just seems to center around 
if people should be allowed to use these business platforms to create that mass hysteria. So I don't know. That's interesting. I feel like that's where we diverge. Would your opinion change if this was no longer run through a business? Like if this was an actual street mm-hmm. corner kind of thing? Well, I mean, I guess it, I, I, I guess I want to know what you mean by change, because I still feel like the government would want to protect itself from yelling fire in a crowded movie theater, because I strongly do ascribe to the idea that that a lot of this like quote unquote information that's being disseminated is not true and is intentionally misleading. So I stand by what I said earlier that I think that there should be more regulations and I don't think that this should be in the hands of social media platforms. But I think, I don't know, I also think a really interesting way and like innovative in some ways way that social media platforms have tried to get around this instead of just, because I think I think there has been a lot of negative, I mean, negative press, I guess, around them removing things like this. I think it's really interesting how they've started adding those like informational banners. Like anytime anybody mentions COVID, there's like, that banner that leads directly to information from the CDC or from like reputed scientific sources of if you want more information about COVID-19, go here, or like information about vaccines, go here. I think that's a really interesting and in a lot of ways, innovative idea of trying to help a population that is not equipped to educate itself about how to use these tools that we've been given. It's, it's like an interesting way to try to encourage them to do that and get around just removing the information entirely. And I guess probably cover their own asses legally so that they can be like, well, if, if, if we do try to get held accountable for this, we added this disclaimer in that tried to allow people to do their own research and whether or not they did that, that was their choice, but we, we weren't intentionally trying to mislead people. So I don't yeah. know, I think that's an interesting thing that we haven't addressed yet of like this gray area of whether this is even censorship or not and, and how, these companies have tried to get around it in an interesting way. I'm still sitting with the idea. I'm still like, my mind's just totally blown still that I totally forgot the social media platforms were businesses. Well, like, I mean, I don't blame you. Cause like I said, that line between public and private, right? Like, and, and, and yeah. especially our generation, I feel like we're really the first generation. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for you with how much younger you are or whatever. <laughs> A whole like year, but I feel like we're one of the first generations that really grew up in this environment where this really was our street corner. I mean, I started using Facebook in like probably 2011. Oh God, probably in middle school. I don't even want to go back to see the the stupid things I probably posted like, Oh, going to band camp today or something like that. You know, I mean, we're one of the first generation. We're like the first generation where this, this has been a constant presence in our lives since puberty. So I guess yeah. don't beat yourself up too much for not thinking of it as a business because I don't think I don't think a lot of us do. Yeah. No, that's crazy. Yeah. Huh? Oh, I just said, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I thought you said how. I was like, oh, okay. I guess, you know, <laughs> it's crazy because of X, Y, Z. Yeah, that's, that's profound. That's profound. Um, I really do think that, sorry, go for it. No, go ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I really, I really do think like from a, on a fundamental level, I think that we, we miss the boat uh, when it comes to 
gathering and understanding information. Um, I really do think that we're, I, I think that we're behind the eight ball on, on yeah. a lot of stuff when it comes to understanding information. Cause I think at the end of the day, like the fact that I didn't even consider that social media was a business platform makes me think of like, Oh man, like what else did I not understand? Um, yeah. And it also just speaks to like the efficacy of these platforms because they very much want to be part of mm-hmm. your life and they want to feel like a part of your life. Um, because that means you use them more and, and you won't think yeah. as much surrounding your usage of them. So, and I don't know, I, I don't want to throw this. In. I'm going to do it. I don't want to throw it in last minute like this. Cause I know we only have a few more minutes to talk, but I also think what you're saying about information is really profound and like our ability to sort through it and absorb it and be exposed to it. Because I mentioned this briefly when we talked about doing the podcast yesterday, but it, it, it really frustrates me that a lot of the people that I see talking about censorship and freedom of speech when it comes to the vaccine seem to be many of the same people that in, in the current debate around like quote unquote critical race theory, which I can go on a whole spiel about that. Just like calling it next, race no, next so episode. Yeah, we can, maybe we'll do that next episode. That would be interesting. <laughs> but, um, it seems to be that these same people that are decrying their lack of First Amendment rights when it comes to the vaccines are calling for schools to limit discussion of critical race theory and like are calling for a very real limitation of knowledge being given to kids about some aspects of the history of the United States. And what I and my scholarship has led me to believe is continuing like issues of race relations in the United States. And so it's just, that makes me frustrated and it makes me wonder if this is really about knowledge and information or if it's really just about certain people feeling like their rights are respected in certain situations as opposed to like the abstract idea of freedom of speech for all. Does that make sense? Can I tell you what I think it is? What is it? So I, I think, this is my theory right now, from okay. listening to what you just said. Okay. I think that, that people, we grow up in our school systems and because we're young, because we're like malleable and we're just consuming information, trying to figure out how the world works. I don't think we do a good enough job moving into adulthood where we grow up and we're just taking information and we're just assuming everything is a fact. And we have these like teachers and major leaders and our parents that tell us, Hey, this is how the world works. This is fact. And I don't think we have switched a lot of, I don't think a lot of adults have switched and say, okay, that worked for when I was a kid and I was dependent on other people for information and to create my, how, how the world works views. I don't think we've switched to the point where we can say, okay, here's somebody that's got this opinion and I'm going to parse this. I'm going to understand. I'm going to take it in and listen. And it doesn't have to instantly become part of my paradigm because I respect the person. I I think that we haven't made that switch yet to, instead of being this, like this, this plant that soaks up the sun or like this kid that just like soaks up information, regardless of the source and just like assuming things are factual from, from people that we respect from like, teachers, leaders, parents, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I don't think that most Americans, at least in my experience, have made this swap into saying, okay, 
I am my own entity. I am my own person. And I will, I would trust myself and I'll use my own common sense. And when people give me information, I listen to it and I soak it in and I determine, okay, does this actually make sense? Like, what's the, what's the probability of this actually happening? Is this reasonable? And, and looking at it from different angles, I think we still get stuck in the, okay, this person that I respect has objective truth. I think what we just have done is in the political sphere, we say, okay, I'm on team red or I'm on team blue. And, and we say, okay, anyone on the red side of the team, these are the people that spit falsehoods. Like these are the people that are wrong. And anyone like my, my favorite people on the left side, these are the ones that if they say something, they must be right. So I'm going to adopt it. Like, I think, I think we're too much in the absorbing and not enough in the processing because like, I don't think that we should be playing red or blue. Like, I don't, I don't think that's like, I think we should be playing for the truth. Mm -hmm. And if the truth comes from the red camp, awesome. And if the truth comes from the blue camp, awesome. But I think that our, our alignments are incorrect. And I think that we aren't good at listening to ourselves and parsing information independently of these like dogmatic people that we put so much um, authority on. So if I understand you correctly, it seems like you feel like the American people as a whole are embracing tribalism over critical thinking. Like, sure. it seems like critical thinking is something that we aren't learning and therefore aren't really doing much of on our own. Yeah, for sure. Well, I don't know. I love this discussion. I feel like this almost went from like a discussion ostensibly of like free speech to a discussion of the effects of like social media on our lives, which (laughs) because like, like I was, I was about to say, like, I don't feel like that's a new phenomena. I don't think it's a new phenomena that like people engage in tribalism over critical thinking. I just think with a platform like social media, it's just thrown an entirely new spin on that. And it's, it's done on a scale that we've never seen before. Um, Yeah. And I just think that that's fascinating. And I don't know. Thanks for thanks for bringing up this topic for discussion. I've really enjoyed talking with you about it and just I don't know, trying to understand more, trying to trying to listen, <laughs> trying to listen and use my own critical thinking skills to understand more about where you're coming from. And yeah, I don't know. Thanks for bringing this topic up for discussion. It's been fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, viewers, listeners, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you guys. I was going to say next week, but it'll probably be like another month. So probably next month. Let's shoot for next month. I think that's a good goal. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. We'll see you guys.